So Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Praise God for those words. Good morning again, everyone. Let's pray before we go any further. We thank you, our Father God, who is full of grace and truth, that you are the God of creation who gives us rest in the person and work of Jesus. God, would you direct our hearts and our minds towards you now in this season of life, that as we open your word, we would humbly sit at your feet. Lord God, that we, as your people, would find the rest and the, and the satisfaction of our life with you and you alone. So God, as we come today now, uh, remind us of your character and of what it meant for Jesus to go to the cross. And will we hear the words, come and take? In your name we pray, amen. So the last few weeks, Mike, or two weeks actually, Mike has been reminding us of this. Oh, can you put the sound on? I try and I try and I try and I thought I would not show you that song today anymore because I think I've found someone who who has the answer to the Rolling Stones 1965 question they posed in that song. I can get no satisfaction. I try and I try and I try. Well, I found in 2018, Marie Kondo has the answer. Watch this. When you touch an item that sparks joy, your body would respond this way. On the contrary, when you touch an item which does not spark joy, you would feel... Try it with each and every piece of clothing you own and see if the item makes you happy now that they should remain with you. When you touch an item, it should spark joy. And if not, you throw it away. That is a key... That is an isolator from Marie Kondo's massive fame and social media and Netflix show... It seems a little bit sad, but when you place it in the context of the rest of her show and the fact that she's really good at cleaning up, and my sock drawer and underwear drawer has certainly seen the benefit of that, um, it doesn't seem as strange. Take the, take the item. If it sparks joy, you keep it. If not, you throw it away. It, she, her, her, her movement of simplicity, of decluttering, of cleaning your life is huge. 
And so um, will living a simple life bring you satisfaction? That's what we're going to explore today. Satisfaction. Uh, sorry, simplicity bringing you satisfaction. And if you're confused by that title of simplicity, then don't be. Because I think you're already far deeper in the search for a simplistic life than you actually would imagine. For example, in Australia and the West, simplicity is primarily about two spheres of your life that we focus on. One is our home and personal life. We declutter our home. Um, we, we use Marie's help. We turn off social media for days on end because we don't like the stream of notifications. Um, we like plant-based diets because they're simple. It's about whole food. It's about um, less other stuff. It's trying to declutter our diet. Clean, healthy eating. Second sphere is also work. Sweden has been adopting a six-hour work day for the past few years, and they're kind of phasing out that test to see if they're going to keep it nationwide. Six hours a day for work. There's a growing movement to be more flexible, work from home, work from anywhere. Um, A high-profile tech company in the last few weeks has just mandated Wednesdays off for everyone because they want you to uh, go to the gym, relax, play sport, rest, calm down from the stress of life. And so if we actually, the agreement for working with us is you have Wednesdays off midweek, you're going to be more productive the other few days. Uh, some email programs even celebrate a zero inbox. And that's my email from earlier in the week. Um, Google says, all done with a person reading a book. They celebrate the simplicity of getting through that pile of email. It seems that with the endless stream of voices and the expectations and pressure that you have and me have in our life, uh, we just want things to be more simple, don't we? And there's some really good stuff in this. As I said, um, Marie Kondo is actually quite helpful if you've got a really messy house. You can kind of tidy things up in a drawer that makes sense. Um, zero inbox. I've been doing that for five years. You have a zero inbox at the end of every day. Brilliant. I, I find that very helpful. I like getting a clean desk. It helps me think. And whole food just tastes better. So being mindful about those things isn't wrong. And many of us can probably learn to be more productive if we followed some tips and thought more about how we're going to live and, and work. The trouble with all of this, though, is that much of this modern simplicity movement that we're kind of in in our culture at the moment is it's just another form of consumerism. You take away the big stuff, the big complicated thing in my life, strip it back, and buy something new that's smaller, littler, probably doesn't do as much because it's simple. A secular commentator in the New York Times recently said that this is just a more refined, organic, locally grown, and morally status-building form of materialism. Now, what I think all this simplicity thinking has in common is that we want the simple because we want rest and relief. We want the simple because we think simple equals rest and relief. And there's something in that, isn't there? After all, rest is woven, if you like, into our DNA, into the DNA of the world. People and animals sleep. And rest. Trees and plants only produce fruit at certain times or seasons of the year. In other seasons, you look like the tree is dead, but it's resting. It's getting energy so that it can produce more fruit and leaves later. In the Christian story, God created life and all that there is in six days and then rested on the seventh, inviting creation humans to rest with and under him. You see, if we were to find simplicity as simply having your external life in order... A neat cupboard, positive relationships, um, asking of the stuff you have. Do I feel joy or should I throw it away? Then the question you have to ask is what happens when you lose control over that? 
when your life circumstance change, the relationship ends, you're just not a neat and tidy kind of person. How do you follow everything that they, you, you see on Instagram to be a simple life, yet you still feel like life isn't as simple as it should be? You got your house in order, but your heart is still restless, beating 10,000 times a minute as you look into your perfectly planned week and still feel anxious and filled with hurry, worry, and busy. And so today we're going to explore a another way, a better way of living a life, a simple life, to use those words, that actually lasts, and it's light. It's a kind of simplicity that's actually far more costly than getting rid of your things, because it's found in an exchange, but not in a monastic, throw away all my stuff and sit on a pole like Simon the Starlight did type exchange. It's a rest that lasts, but it's not found in the temporary It's a way of life that enables you to face the hurry, the worry, the busy, and all the complex, the relationships, the family, the money, your career, not by escaping, but by finding that what you actually crave is found outside of yourself, and it must be given to you. Because the heavy burdens you carry around, you can't fix that with a personal revolution or a New Year's resolution. 1 Christian said long, long ago, We cannot be content unless we praise you because you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they find rest in you, said Augustine. And so if you're here today, if you feel that way, if you want life to be more simple and you need rest and relief and your current season is chaotic, then come with me and let's sit at the feet of Jesus and see what he has to say. Maybe for the first time you'll hear and see this. The rest that Jesus offers you. Maybe you, as we heard before, it's a very well-known passage. Maybe you've forgotten, have never understood, or just need reminding. Let's sit at the feet of Jesus, at his word, and see what he says today. And we're going to see three things. It's on the screen. You can write it in your book if you're following along. We're going to see how rest is given. We're going to see who gives this rest. And we're going to see what it looks like. How it's given, who gives it, and then what it looks like. So it's in Matthew chapter 11, and when we hit Matthew 11, the whole theme of that chapter is about following an unexpected Jesus. Jesus is not going to do exactly what you want all of the time just because you think it's a good idea, and that's actually a really good thing. We see John the Baptist in prison, and that's that wonderful uh, moment when John the Baptist is feeling very discouraged for following Jesus, and he says, guys, just go and find out if Jesus really is the one who we should be longing for, if there should be someone else. And then, and then all of the, the, um, the Pharisees are, are having a go at him and his teaching, Jesus' teaching. Uh, they're the religious leaders. And then he says to his disciples, actually, guys, it's going to be pretty tough. Life is not going to be a box of roses every single day if you follow me. And that's hard. So following Jesus, he just, he's not doing what they expected him to do. And then in verse 25, it begins with a time shift. It says, at that time... And it's not not directly after all those events, but around that time, in the similar vicinity of time, Jesus said something. At that time, Jesus said, and so in all the hostility, in all the rejection, Jesus hears it all, he engages with it all, then he steps back and he reminds his followers that he is the only alternative that satisfies our deepest human longings in all the chaos. And so the verses today are a prayer of Jesus as he's talking about those who follow him and how he invites others to do the same, that they too will be an apprentice, a follower of him. 
And that cascades down to verses 28 to 30, which is what we're going to see in this morning. And Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and are burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So firstly, we see how rest is given. Weary, Jesus says, Come to me who are weary. Weary calls to mind extreme effort and work, physically, mental, spiritually, I'm sure you can relate to it. It's becoming tired and exhausted after a big, long day, sustained period perhaps of doing one thing. You're just, you're just knackered. It could be your sin weighing on you. You've had that fight this week with your own self about what you should and shouldn't do and you've, you've given in again and you feel weary. Could be the relationships in the church that you just can't face again or in your home or in your workplace. You're weary from that. Weary could be uh, from anything. Jesus is not being restrictive here when he says this. Are you weary? Are you burdened? That's a heavy load. Something you, you carry and you hold on to. In other places in the New Testament, we're told to carry one another's burdens. A mental, spiritual burden of another. Or it often means pressing on with courage. You know, um, Keep going forward, keep moving on. You often say the same thing. The same uh, idea is present in other parts of the New Testament. Jesus says, in fact, keeping the Jewish law is a burden that some are imposing on someone else. And what he's saying is that life has a way of dulling us, does it not? Of feeling heavy. Seasons that are just weary. And some seasons don't go for, you know, three months or four. They could be years long. And the wonderful invitation here is those of us who feel that way, Jesus says, come. That's the first point. How rest is given? Come. By coming to Jesus. Come to me, he says. And it's wide-reaching. Come to me, only you who are good. No, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, come. And that is in stark opposition to what we normally do, is it not? We normally go, you have a burden, you're weary, You want rest, so you go to wherever you think will save you. We're people that constantly go. We venture through the mountain of junk food because it's the only thing that will give us relief after a day of work. We go online looking for a voice that will echo with our new opinion or new idea that we found to affirm what we want to hear. We complain to others about our boss and our family, about our work, because we just want relief and, and we think that that will bring what we long for. We go. And what Jesus is doing is saying, if you're feeling that way, Come to me and I'll give you rest. You don't have to earn that rest. Jesus says, I will give you rest. And that's a future rest, as in you don't have it until you come, right? You get relief and refreshment by coming to him. And what this means, if you put it in the big picture of the Bible that we've been looking at, uh, if you've been coming to Trinity Church for a while, that it means that we finally have the Sabbath that we've been longing for in Jesus. What do I mean? You go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see Adam lost the rest that was his in the, in the garden in creation under God. And so then God introduces this idea of returning to rest in the Sabbath. It's a Hebrew word that just means ceasing or resting. And it was built in the fabric of creation and sin, sin distorted and twists us so we're out of rest with God, ourselves, creation and one another. And then in redemption, Jesus comes and brings us, as we can see here from his own words, into this final Sabbath rest that we've been made for. Not in escaping life, 
but ceasing from carrying the burdens in life because Jesus has already carried all our burdens up onto the cross. And so rest in Jesus' playbook is not inactivity, but refreshing rest. It's not a present state of utopia, but Jesus setting us up on the only path in life that will lead towards full, lasting, heavenly rest. And with him, we enjoy that rest now. You see, Jesus is about reorientating us towards God and his purpose in his kingdom. Last week, if you were here, Mike reminded us that in the new heaven and earth, there will be no more tears and sadness and sickness. And the thing that struck Mike most was that it was because Jesus would wipe that away. Not just they're not there, but he will wipe them away himself. And that future rest is what we're being realigned to in this life only if we come. And for some of you, that future and that present are not quite aligned yet. And you're struggling because you can't, you know that future's there, but it just seems so far-stretched, you, you, you just can't reconcile the current confusion. We'll get to that. But firstly, we just simply Come. I remember once in a book by John Murray, um, and it struck me what he said. He said, um, we, we only bring one thing to Jesus. There's only one thing you could ever bring to Jesus that he, he actually wants from you, and that is your sin. And then he graciously takes it away and reclothes you with his own righteousness and goodness. And who's going to give that rest? It's Jesus. And that's actually point two as well. Who gives the rest? Jesus. But look what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What's interesting is that the command or the imperative in this small passage does not sit with the word come. It's actually in the word take. The emphasis here is not so much in coming. It's actually coming to take something. It's in what we do when we come, and that's taking. Come to me, Jesus says, I'll give you rest, and take We come to him taking something, right? That's what Jesus is emphasizing here. And he wants us to think about farming as we do. And he says, think about a yoke. And I have a picture here for you to see what a yoke is. It's a big bar with two hooks and you would put two ox on either side and the ox would walk in the field and they'd make a a line in the ground and you put your your crop in there and they would go around and and they pull machinery or, or whatever they would do with that. And he says, think about that. So to be yoked is to be joined together. Two oxen are joined together or cows or whatever. Um, you also see you can carry a yoke on your shoulders and put two buckets or baskets. They're quite common and you load heavy things and walk around with them too. You're, you're joined with that and those two buckets are joined together. Um, unfortunately, yoke, uh, it became a tool that was used on slaves as well. It was often used as a metaphor for a country being in subjection to another foreign king. That, that country X is yoked to country Y because they're more stronger and powerful. And then, then writers and philosophers, Plato, Homer, and everyone since then has taken up idea and said, you know what, I think the human condition is that we're yoked to the wrong thing. And they've looked at this and they've said, well, we're just yoked to something wrong. But then you can use it in a positive way. Jews would positively say, I'm yoked to the worship of God. And they saw it as a good thing to be under God. And that positive way is the way Jesus is referring to it here in the passage. So you can be yoked to the wrong thing, or you can be yoked to something good. The question isn't, are you yoked? It's what are you yoked to? 
So to be yoked to Jesus means that we're able to face the daily hurry, worry, busy, because we've had the one who has already bought, burned, bought, burned, taken your burdens on the cross to make life manageable. And we see that this yoke of Jesus is his teaching. It's, it's, we learn from him, he says. It's, it's the wisdom of doing life under God. And so with Jesus, we come exchanging our burden for his yoke, dare I say, for his burden. You see? And then Jesus does something wonderful. He appeals to his own character for the reason you would want to do that. I am gentle and humble in heart. This is wonderful. You will not find gentleness and humility through the commands. You will find do better, try harder. That's not gentle. You will not find rest for your soul if you're constantly looking over your shoulder thinking, do I measure up? Am I okay? Am I still in the family? Am I still loved? That is not a restful way to live, comparing yourself. And that's what makes Christianity right here so different from a secular view of life and other religions. Jesus says, take his yoke on you and you're actually receiving all that you could ever want. You don't do anything. You come as you are. It's a new way to manage and reorder your life around his yoke, who is, which is light and easy. Huh. And that's where you find simplicity or start to find it. Because we have a gentle and humble God who gives us rest, when we do become stressed and disoriented in our life, we can echo the words of one pastor who said, the Lord knows how to order things better than I. The Lord sees further than I do. I only see things at present, but the Lord sees a great while from now. I want to rest in that. Monday morning, maybe not Monday, but Tuesday, you go back to work and the Lord sees further. He's in control. I only see things right now, but he sees a great while on. And the fact that Jesus went to the cross guarantees that I'm forgiven. I don't have to worry if he loves me. I'm going to rest in that. And that's what it means to learn the way of Jesus. It's another way of saying you're a disciple of Jesus. And that really is the key idea of of a Christian, is being a disciple. Discipleship is the ministry of the church, not a ministry. Never have disciple groups or discipleship programs because the church is discipleship. The whole church is about discipleship, learning to be like Jesus. And this learning is to adopt the new mindset and method of living. It's living a new life that requires us, as verse 25 to 27 said, to be like a child, being humble like a child, being in the position where he is our father and we are his children. Now, all of this means that scripture and worship of God in those ways and rest all collide together in the Christian story. To be devoted to Jesus, to be ever increasing, to be more like Jesus day by day, we rest in his word, setting aside other concerns to actively learn from him. So I'm going to pause here and I want to take a, uh, take a tangent on purpose and come back. As I think this is important. We need to ask the question, are you learning the way of Jesus? Are you learning from Jesus? Are you being a disciple of Jesus? It's more than hearing a sermon. I read this week of a 17-year-old girl who collapsed uh, with a swollen tongue. Happened a few years ago. Turns out she'd eaten nothing but chicken nuggets for most of her life. No veggies, no fruit, no green smoothies, no chia seed puddings, chicken nuggets was what she ate. I'm sure it started well, and I can relate. Parents, kid doesn't want anything, get something into your body, chicken nuggets will do. And then by 17, it was just kind of chicken nuggets, chicken nuggets, chicken nuggets. And she collapsed, his tongue was swollen, malnourished, all that. Horrible. 
She learned by the hard lesson that man does not live by chicken nuggets alone, nor females or anyone. You see where I'm going with this. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, Matthew 4.4. We're more than physical beings just eating fruit and veg. We're spiritual beings beings hungry for soul food, which can only be nourished by the words of God, or the word of God. And as your pastor, I can guarantee one thing that I will never, ever, ever say to you is, I wish you would stop reading the Bible. You're reading it too much. Stop, please. You'll never hear that. And so the question is, are you biblically literate? And I don't mean, are you a biblical scholar and all that sort of thing, because some of you are not like that, and not everyone has been made by God to to be a big thinker. Are you satisfying your mind, your heart, your soul with God through his word? And I get that. It's hard to concentrate, to sit, read the Bible. Distractions come at you all the time. Um, but hey, when do distractions not come at us today? You're at work and you get distracted. Um, while we aren't called, like I said, to be biblical scholars, we should all be called to hunger for God. And that happens by hearing his voice in scripture and prayer. And to miss reading the Bible, here's the thing, to miss reading the Bible is to miss God himself. So here's what I'm asking you to do, and me and all of us at Trinity Church Golden Grove. And we're going to profile this more and more as the weeks and the months go on. But today I thought it was a good day to start. For many of us, live a simple life, learn from Jesus by engaging with the Bible in 2020, 2020. What normally happens is the more complex your life gets, as I know from experience, the less and less you're hearing from God, you're letting him speak to you through his word and the promises, reordering your life, reminding him who he is, who you are in light of Christ. There's less confessing of sin in those seasons. There's less enjoying God's grace and quiet voice in his word. And so as a community at Trinity Church Golden Grove, let's actually, who do already take God's word seriously, because we do, I'm going to ask you, if you've never read the Bible, or even if you aren't a Christian yet, to join us, because we love you, because we think that this uh, you're going to benefit from hearing God directly anyway, as he answers the secrets of your heart and you see yourself in light of who he is, to join us in reading the Bible in 2020 in four ways. Firstly is you need the main course, and this is really the key point Uh, the only point that I really have, the other two, three, help, um, to actually read the Bible, four chapters a day. You you can sign up for an email, uh, but we're going to send you in the weekly email the actual reading plan for the whole year so you can follow along. And that's where it takes shapes. So that's the main course. Grab the Bible reading program and do it. Read God's Word. You can get an email that reminds you of this and has the chapters and has a, a daily devotion to follow along from what you have read, which is very helpful. Um, you can get a link for that. You have to do it yourself. I can lead you to water, but I can't make you drink. Um, so if you want to get that email, sign up for it. You'll get it every day. And then at the same time, you'll also get sent podcasts and articles related to what you have read and encouraging you, reminding you to keep reading the word as the year goes on. Um, helping us to understand Jesus is, pointing us back to him, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So let's cut through the busy and, the, and, and hear from a gentle God, a humble God, and take his yoke upon ourselves. So that's the, the challenge. We'll talk about that more, but uh, suffice to say for now, let's read the Bible together. And it's the McShaney Bible reading plan, if you know what that is, and uh, it's a really great way to read 
the Bible, you're not too late to start either. And if you do stumble and trip and, and actually forget a few days, just pick it up and keep going. Consistency over time brings results. So finally, what does all this look like? Let's go back onto the, the passage again. We've started to mention this, but in verse 30, we see something else. My yoke is easy, my burden's light. So what is Jesus' yoke actually like? It's easy to wear, not that it's not challenging or demanding. And that's important. In contrast to the other yokes, for the Jew, the demands of the law, the religious leaders of their day, for us, secularism, moralism, the word we translate easy, if you would apply it to a person, you would, you would translate as kind. But here it has the idea of not being discomforting, something that's easy to wear, and that's what Jesus' yoke is. He is kind to us. He's not one to make demands of us beyond what he'll give us the ability to do. He's done it on the cross. We do it because he's done it. Not to earn his love, not to prove ourselves, not to be some wonderful person. Actually, it's a response to him. You see, Jesus' demands and his yoke are not about weighing you down with practices, with regulations that provide no solace for a weary soul. The cost of following Jesus can be huge and hard, turning away from your culture at times, from relationships, turning down a pay increase just so you can serve or be at church for the sake of other souls. Sin is hard to admit. It hurts when someone in the community with a loving brother or sister says, actually, Luke, I've seen a behavior that Jesus wouldn't be too proud of. And that makes me feel with so much joy, does it not? And I just want to say thank you and hug you. No, I don't. It hurts. The first instinct is not to give you a hug and say, praise God. It's actually to go, ah, you've got the problem. It's not me. Hold on. In a lawyer comes out defending when actually, more than often than not, it is me. And my sin has got in the way of our relationship again. And I'm sure you can relate. You see, it means that the Christian is afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but never driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So easy doesn't mean we won't sacrifice or it's not going to hurt. We follow the path of the one who sacrificed his life for us. But what Jesus is claiming is that he's the only one who actually gives us soul rest that's easy, that's legitimate, that's true, and that lasts. The Christian has faith in God, not faith in this life. And so Jesus' rest is being able to live in the world around us in any state, in any, it's not location in Australia, but any state of being, any circumstance, any, any position, because Jesus is at work in you and his yoke rests upon you. And that is a comforting weight. And he can actually handle the weight that you place on him, you see? His rest isn't escapism. His lightness isn't naivety. It isn't the absence of hard things. So, where does that leave us? Two thoughts as we close. Come and carry. Come and carry. I don't know what's making you weary this week what's burdening you, what, what's, what you're longing for this morning, a simple life in these particular ways, in these spheres of who I am. I wish it was simple. Many people and things make promises to give you rest, to make you whole, to make you happy, to satisfy you. But it is only Jesus who could ever offer such things with integrity. He heals the broken. He satisfies the hungry. There is a burden that is actually going to take the weight off, a yoke that liberates. And Jesus assures us, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Every other burden presses on you, it's heavy, but Jesus' burden lifts you up. It's as if his burden has wings. 
You see, Jesus went up onto a hill with a heavy wooden cross on his back, with a heart filled with your sin and shame and guilt and confusion and uncertainty. And he took it upon himself, not simply to be your example, but your substitute. The one to stand in your place before God, dying your death, killing your sin, paying the cost of what it means to give you the rest that you long for and can finally have in him, the rest you are made for. And he says to you, come. Come to the riches of his grace and take his yoke upon you. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know what, Luke? I'm rested. I'm doing okay. Maybe you have weary friends. Family, depleted, thrown down, filled with bitterness, shame, rage. And you're feeling the rest of God. Then pray that God would give you what you need to love them well in this time. And to remind them of the rest that is theirs in Jesus. Let us be a community at Grove that humbly carry each other's burdens in the ups and downs of life. Which means we will put others' needs above our own. We'll also boldly reach out to others, as Jesus has already reached out to us. When the seasons of life change, we're going to commit to our community so that we're not going to hide and have a pity party or be filled with despair and loneliness, thinking, oh, I don't need anyone. Often the first thing we do when we actually need community is we run away from community. And we do this, we care for one another, because we are already full in Jesus. We are already loved I can give myself to you not to feel good, not to prove myself, not because I have a chip on my shoulder I just have to prove to you or anyone else. I give myself to you in serving you and in wanting to carry your burden with you, point you to the great burden lifter himself, Jesus, because I'm already full in him. Please, don't help anyone else if you want to prove something to them or because you just want to show how good you are to everyone. That's a bad thing to do. Carry others' burdens by resting in him. And so come to Jesus in prayer for your weary friends. Carry their burdens as Jesus has already carried yours and is still carrying yours. Because today you might be fine, but guess what? In a month's time, everything might change. And your God will not. Jesus will still say come and he'll still give you his yoke. So let us be joyfully yoked to Jesus who will bring us true, lasting, and eternal satisfaction. As we learn that pleasure in week one is actually fine if it's pleasure in God, because he's the one that satisfies. As we learn in money, we have the riches of the king of heaven and earth to fill us with all we need. Little gold coins will never, ever satisfy. As we learned last week about relationships, yeah, relationships are good and we're designed for community, but we're made for, built for a relationship with the God of heaven and earth who made and redeemed us. And today, we learned that the complexities of life, the simplicity we long for is found by resting, not in a massive holiday, but in Jesus. Come to me who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. I thought of this, um, and it's from Isaiah chapter 40. And we'll finish with this, and then I'll pray. Isaiah says, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? 
Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens of the earth. He will not grow weary. He is, his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Because Jesus has already done it. Let's pray. Our great God, you have made us for yourself. May each of us here find our rest and relief from the burden of this life, from our sin in you the only one who can actually relieve it because you went to the cross and you carried our sin and shame and guilt up on there. You died our death. You rose to new life and you opened the door to your kingdom with to us, with you. May your grace flood our hearts and our minds this week as we are reminded of who you are, that we are your child, that we will be humble enough to come to you, to live in community, And take your yoke upon you. Help us to read your word as a disciple of you. Not because we have to, but because we love you and we want to. So Father, create in us a heart for the things of you. May this year be all about you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.